we've been thinking about starting this series for, for a while, and we finally got here <laughs> today. So if you would turn to Mark chapter 1. <laughs> We're going to start our series on Mark's gospel in the AM services. I do want to say it is, it is sometimes a struggle in thinking about an introductory message on a book uh, to get into some of the introduction of material and discussion about, around the book. Uh, so I hope that this morning, uh, as we do that, you will uh, hopefully bear with me and in many ways uh, find it helpful as well. At the same time, in such an introductory message, sometimes it's a little bit more uh, difficult uh, to see it as a message of, of preaching, but I'm hoping that that blends in so as we proceed, so at the same time. So anyways, uh, uh, just think about that as, as we go forward together in this introductory message. Just going to read the first verse today, and next week um, it is my hope to exposit more carefully on this verse. But we will use this verse this morning itself as the introduction to the series. Listen to the holy, infallible word of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of of God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we come before thee asking your insight into such rich words about our Savior. Help us to be encouraged by this gospel in our Christian walk, in our daily lives. Help us to see and understand Christ more fully. And in the weakness of my own exposition of the text, we ask, O oh Lord, humbly that the Spirit of God will make thy word more full in the hearts of thy people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Over my lifetime, it has been common for magazines such as Time Magazine and Newsweek to publish editions either at Christmas or at the time of Easter addressing the issue, who was Jesus of Nazareth? I'm pretty confident that most of you in the congregation 
this morning are familiar with those publications. The articles published will consult so-called scholars from across the spectrum providing various opinions. Generally, the idea that Jesus is the true Son of God comes under strong scrutiny in those secular publications. Maybe Jesus is merely a prophet, or maybe we should look at Jesus merely as a tremendously moral person who received unjust treatment for sure by the authorities of the Jews and the Romans. Perhaps his deity was constructed by his disciples and the early church after he died, and thus such things as the virgin birth, the miracles that are said that he performed, and his resurrection are part of a false narrative, false narrative, in order to pass down a religion which is opposed to the pagan religions that were found in the Roman Empire. In these published articles, they usually give some space to scholars who find the narratives of the four Gospels as the true and authentic representation of who Jesus was. That Jesus is the true Messiah, the Christ, that he really is the Son of God, the true and only Redeemer between the only God who created the heavens and the earth and sinful humanity, that he was born of a virgin, performed miracles as the Lord over the entire creation, and died on the cross for sinners and rose from the dead. Even if this voice is given space in these published articles, it will be clear that there is no consensus among scholars about who Jesus of Nazareth truly is. Therefore, we need, you need, to entertain various opinions and make up your own mind who Jesus is, keeping in mind, however, that the presentation of Jesus in the four Gospels is most likely the minority position among the world of scholarship. This should not surprise you when you read this type of material from secular publications. Men, women, and young people, we must not fall prey to such secular narratives about our Jesus. We want to dive into the God-breathed testimony of the Holy Spirit to mark concerning the factual account that comes out of heaven in order to bring you, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to heaven. To heaven. 
Indeed, you want to cleave yourself. You want to embrace. You want to strengthen your own heart about the message of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 1. That he is the beloved Son of his Father in heaven. Verse 11 of the first chapter. That he is the Holy One of God. Verse 24 of the first chapter. As we look forward together, as we look forward together to participate in Mark's narrative, as he moved, as he was moved by the Holy Spirit, let your spirit in this introduction to Mark's gospel, be clear about its author, the circumstance of the gospel, as well as the current hot scholarly question about whether Mark or Matthew is the first gospel. It is those three points that I want to take up in terms of our introduction this morning. The author, the issue of the circumstance, and then the hot scholarly question of whether Mark or Matthew is the first gospel. Although the gospel does not name its author, as you look there even at the first verse, there is no name that it comes from that it affirms that it comes from Mark, the absolute continual tradition throughout the history of the church is that the author is John Mark, who was in Rome with Peter at the time of Nero's persecution of the church. You would want to possibly to get that firmly in your mind is to see 1 Peter 5.13. You may recall in Acts chapter 12 that after Peter was miraculously rescued out of prison that he came to the house, to the house owned by John Mark's mother, Mary, that is recorded in Acts 12.12. You may also recall that Saul, as we know him, Paul, and Barnabas were a team in gospel ministry. And as a team, we are told in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, that Paul and Barnabas added John Mark. Now, who is John Mark? Well, John Mark happened to be the cousin, the cousin of Barnabas. That is affirmed in Colossians 4.10. And they added John Mark to their first missionary journey. However, when they reached Perga during that journey, and they were about ready to go inland into Asia Minor, Mark decided not to continue with Paul and his cousin Barnabas. He returned to Jerusalem. That is recorded in Acts 13, verse 13. As you remember, Paul was not pleased with Mark's decision 
to leave that first missionary journey. And thus Paul refused to consider taking Mark on the second missionary journey, causing a division between them. When the second journey began, Mark and his cousin Barnabas became a team and went to Cyprus. Whereas Paul teamed now with Silas and went through Syria and Cilicia. That is recorded in Acts 15, verses 36 through 40. Although we do not know the details, it seems that later on, Paul and Mark reconciled with each other. That is, seems to be hinted in Colossians 4.10 in Philemon verse 24. This reunion seems evident while Paul was in prison in Rome since he instructed Timothy and Ephesus to bring Mark to Rome because Mark could be useful to Timothy's ministry there. That's recorded in 2 Timothy 4.11. So Mark is the author of this gospel. Now the circumstance of this gospel. As we turn to the circumstance of the gospel, we note that John Mark was a Jewish Christian And from the records of the early church, the composition of this gospel places it in Rome or more broadly in Italy. For this reason, the gospel often seems to be written to a Gentile audience. As a Jewish Christian who was comfortable with his Jerusalem background, there are certain signals that Mark used language which would connect with Roman or Gentile culture without surrendering the true revelatory message of this gospel. I make this point because his gospel indicates ties to Rome whether because of Paul's instruction of Timothy to bring Mark to Rome or Mark's eventual placement with Peter in Nero's Rome. For example, it is understood that Christ's words in chapter 9, verse 49, an interesting verse, a verse that is only found in Mark's gospel, Mark 9, 49, that this verse were fulfilled against Christians in Nero's persecutions of the church. So scholars believe. And the phrase that is there, the words of our Savior is this, for everyone will be salted with fire. Two other quick examples. First, Mark likes the Latin terms connected with the Roman army. For example, in this case, legion, chapter 5, verse 9, praetorium, chapter 15, verse 16, centurion, verses 15, chapter 15, verse 39. And second, which is very interesting, 
when Mark references night watches of all things, the night watches, he references that there are four night watches. That is a Roman concept. Rather than three night watches, which is a Jewish concept. Note how Mark records Christ walking on the water in Mark chapter 6, verse 48. And he, Christ, saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch, there it is, the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So far, at this point, we have the author being Mark. We have the circumstance before us concerning the, the time of Mark's writing. So we have established that John Mark, as introduced to us in the book of Acts, is the author of this gospel. And as a Jewish Christian, Mark used terminology that accommodated a Roman Gentile reader with understanding his narrative. Now we come, now we come to perhaps the hottest topic surrounding Mark's gospel. The subject of the relationship of Mark's gospel to Matthew's gospel. And tied to this subject matter is the origin, the origin of Mark's gospel message. (laughs) Now, I would bet that most of us here this morning could care less about this subject. And to be honest, I am sympathetic with you. (laughs) But sadly, we always have scholars and pastors in the church who attack the truth of God's word. And also such individuals will go against the overwhelming historical evidence that supports God's word. Here is the debate among the vast majority of biblical scholars today. Which gospel was the first gospel written? Was it Matthew or was it Mark? Furthermore, is Matthew dependent on Mark as his main source of writing his gospel Or is Mark dependent on Matthew in writing his gospel? Now, if this question bores you, (laughs) let me inform you that if you have been in a Bible study on Mark and they have not addressed this question, you may not be prepared for what is circulating in the church about understanding Mark's gospel. On the other hand, perhaps you have been in a Bible study on Mark, and they have brought this issue up, and they've taken a certain position 
Do you know why a certain position has been taken up in that Bible study? Well, (laughs) until around the 1830s, it was virtually unquestionable in the early church, extremely well articulated by the great Augustine, also articulated in the medieval church and by our Reformation fathers, that Matthew is the first gospel written, and that is one of the reasons it appears first in the New Testament. But it's around the 1830s. You can just think here at the end and towards the end and now into the Romantic period, the end of the Enlightenment. This orthodox position was challenged by critical scholars of the Bible and began suggesting that Mark is the first gospel and Matthew's gospel is totally dependent on Mark's gospel for the source of its material. Now you may be wondering, what's the issue here? Why is this important? What's the breakdown? What's going on here with God's word? Please listen. Here's the point. The assumption is by these critical scholars is that the Bible is not is not written by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is not divinely God-breathed. Now do you see, there's method. (laughs) There's method to Dr. D or Pastor Bill's madness before you. (laughs) (laughs) you may be saying fill me in please right now okay what is the madness to you in terms of this this is why you see it was so important for us to have that series on 2nd Timothy 3.16 before we look at this that's the foundation The Bible is the God-breathed word of God. We're not going to capitulate in this pulpit to the higher critics of the Bible. We have laid the foundation for understanding and going forward of understanding that Mark is a divinely inspired gospel to the church. Hence, these scholars want to focus, these critical scholars want to focus upon what were the sources for the material in these gospels that have been passed down to us. What are, listen, what are the human sources not the divine source is their issue, that make up the content of these Gospels. After all, the Gospels are human-fabricated narratives. 
The Gospels are fallible stories. They are human-invented dramas about about an outstanding human, Jesus of Nazareth, who the early Christians constructed into the religious purpose for their lives, specifically a divine Savior redeeming them from sin. Well, There are at least two points that need to be made at this point. First, are the majority of critical scholars today correct that Mark's gospel is is the human source for Matthew's gospel? That Mark's gospel is written first. And then secondly... Who is, who is the real historical Jesus that appears upon the pages of Mark's gospel, which you read so religiously? Congregation, going back to the first question, enter Ned B. Stonehouse. Now, many of you in the congregation may know that name, Ned B. Stonehouse, because he's perhaps most famous today in terms of his volume on the biography of the founder of our denomination, J. Gresham Machen. If you've never read Stonehouse's biography on Machen, I encourage you to get it and to understand the foundations of our denomination. It's golden. But what many people don't realize concerning Stonehouse, we know the name Machen. We know in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church the name Cornelius Van Til and John Murray but one name is overlooked, and that is Ned B. Stonehouse, who was an incredible, credible New Testament scholar who took on the critics. His material is golden. Stonehouse's response to the first question, what was that first question? Whether Mark is the source for Matthew's gospel is a 30-page devastating analysis of the critical scholar's position. I am only going to provide a few points that that should show that Stonehouse demonstrates the absurdity of this critical scholar position. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm going to try to keep it very simple. First... If Mark is the source of Matthew's gospel, why is there nothing in Mark that is in Matthew chapters 1 and 2? You know Matthew 1 and 2. Starts off with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Then it goes into this whole narrative around the birth of Christ. 
There's nothing. As you look at Mark's gospel, there's absolutely nothing about the genealogy nor the birth of Christ. So, (laughs) if Matthew is dependent on Mark, Stonehouse points out, why is there nothing in Mark's gospel that appears in Matthew chapters 1 and 2? Where did Matthew get the material for his first two chapters? Because it is not, not found in Mark. Second point. If Mark is the source of Matthew's gospel, then why is Matthew's edition of Christ's temptation so much more comprehensive than Mark's. If you want, look down there at Mark chapter 1. We'll get to this in our messages. Look at verses 12 and 13. That's all Mark records concerning the temptation. Do you remember our message two weeks ago on the temptation of Christ from Matthew's gospel? You will notice there that even Mark has nothing about the interaction of the actual temptations with Satan, which are three. Thirdly, (laughs) Stonehouse points out, if Mark is the source of Matthew's gospel, then why does the comprehensive edition of the Sermon on the Mount or its elements not appear in Mark's gospel at all? There is no reference in Mark's gospel at all to the Sermon on the Mount. You can extract only perhaps one verse in all of Mark's gospel corresponding with the Sermon on the Mount. You know the sermon takes up chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel. Matthew's record of the Sermon on the Mount is absolutely, has absolutely no dependency on Mark's gospel. Hopefully you are getting the point. Stonehouse is demonstrated, demonstrating on the basis of the close analysis of the two Gospels that although many of the same stories appear in each Gospel, after all, we know we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic Gospels because they contain a number of the same stories in their Gospels. But when we take a close look at Mark's relationship with Matthew, the comparison clearly shows, and here's the key word, that each Gospel is independent. Independent of the other. After all, if you really wish to speak from a human perspective, one of the sources of John Mark's gospel does become obvious. It's his personal relationship with one of the disciples, which is established 
in the New Testament record. It's Peter. It's Peter. So there is nothing the critics have done to undermine congregation that the ultimate source of Mark's gospel is rooted in the infallible revelation of God about his son, moved, carried along by the Holy Spirit, even as the Holy Spirit integrates Mark's personality and material from Peter and perhaps others into the breathed-out truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Mark begins his gospel without any mystery about the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the long-expected anointed one in Israel, who is God's very son, one-one of our text. The gospel, don't miss this, the gospel, the evangelistic message that is wrapped up in his person will be incredibly pastoral. The redeeming story of Christ going to his death unjustly under the hands of the Jews and the Roman Gentiles will be there for the Christian church as they face the gruesome tactics of Nero's persecutions in Rome around 64 A.D. This gospel is coming to them in persecution. The pastoral Evangelism of Mark's gospel accents to the reader the interconnection between Christ's identity as God's son and his destiny that goes to the cross. Yes, what a concrete pastoral application to the church. Indeed, Christ is tempted like we are in all points as we are, yet without sin. O congregation, I invite you this morning, I invite you this morning, lift up your hearts as we now move forward in Mark's evangelistic gospel message. As Stonehouse summarizes, Mark tells us with unparalleled emphasis that Jesus, the Messiah, the supernatural, mysterious Son of God, the heavenly Son of Man, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to minister and give his life a ransom for many, for each of us, reaching his climatic identity and destiny for us in his resurrection. Congregation, 
Come. Come in the weeks ahead to worship your Christ. Renew his story for your redemption. Come to enrich your faith and live in union with your Christ each day. You do not want, you do not want to miss the Holy Spirit's picture of Christ through Mark, which is given to each of you in the church. You don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit has given to Mark for your life. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, it is always easy to get captured by the world, the wisdom of the world. We ask, O Lord, that you would give to us only the wisdom that comes from Christ, and that we and our hearts would be committed. to the infallible word of God as inscripturated by the Spirit of God. And may our hearts, our spirit, be united with thy spirit in the message that thou hast had Mark record for us. May our weaknesses May the comfort we need daily, may the strength that we need daily in our faith be cherished from this gospel as we read, as we study, as we go forth together. Bless us in Christ's name. Amen.